and everybody is, you know, they're they're they define it in their own way. But for me, the sharing of water today means that I love this person, I trust them, and I will never throw them out of my life. Um, this is somebody who I have a permanent commitment to, like to my brother or my sister. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 288. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a fascinating and wonderful interview with Terry. Terry has been exploring polyamory for about 50 years and is the co-author of a new book called 50 Years of Polyamory in America, a guided tour of a growing movement. Yeah, we are, as Emma said, super excited about this conversation and Love the fact that we get to talk to somebody who's been exploring non-monogamy for that long, been exploring polyamory for that long, and has also written a book about it. Yes. Yeah. So we're super, super excited about this conversation. Yeah. Throughout this conversation, Terry kind of weaves in her personal story with like a history lesson as well. So we love that, like the whole conversation. It's a hybrid. It is. It we, is. We love it. So a huge thank you to Terry for coming on and sharing your story and for all the work you've done and continue to do. Just a quick reminder about where you can find more about Terry's work over on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. We have a link to all of our show notes under the podcast tab for, for, for Terry and all of our previous guests. You can click into there and find links to everything she talks about, including Live the Dream, Reach for the Stars, Ace Success, and all of the phone numbers she lists. One thing we did want to mention about Live the Dream, those are her monthly support group and community for people exploring non-monogamy and polyamory. And we just wanted to be clear that those meet every third Saturday of each month. She asked us to make that really clear up front. And so we are happy to do that because we love giving people other resources for support. Yes. And she's actually been running this group since the late 80s, which she'll talk about, but that's pretty exceptional. It's almost as long as we've been running our community. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Almost. I, I love that Terry founded her community the same year I was born. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that speaks volumes to the experience that she brings to this conversation. And I'm just, I'm really excited about that. So again, uh, podcast player show notes or on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab and you can find links to all of the work that Terry does, continues to do, and hopefully will continue to do for a long time. Yes, very, very true. For anyone who's a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview with Terry now. And for anyone else, we're going to just do a few announcements. First up, if you are not familiar with the premium subscription, it is a way to skip these announcements up front, jump right into the interview, but don't worry, you still get important dates in the outro. To sign up for the premium subscription, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll down on the homepage, and you can find links right there. Right there. Right there. You know what? They're actually below the shirts. Yeah, you can also buy a Give Love shirt while you're there. We haven't talked about the shirts in a while. We have not. We have Give Love shirts available on our website. Actually, shirts, sweatshirts, tank tops, 
Racerbacks, is it, that's a thing I've been told? Yes, that is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they look amazing. And you can see them right there on our website. Order yourself one. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> They're pretty cool. Next up, we wanted to tell you about our community founded in not 1987. <laughs> No. Founded a few years back. Emma and I have been super thrilled about this community and just blown away by the power of it. We have over 200 members coming up on 300 members who are in there supporting each other every day from all across the world and all across the spectrum of non-monogamy. We would love to have you join us and, and join Join them. Join them. Join us. Join everybody. All of it. All of it. <laughs> you can find out more on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Again, and you click on the community tab. It's five bucks a month and you get a men's group. You get a women's group. You get daily chats. You get support from all of your peers. Monthly Q&As. A monthly Q&A, which is coming up tomorrow. Yes, yes, today. It's, true. it's today. It's today. It's, it's today. today. <laughs> well, it's tomorrow, but today. Yeah. It's on Wednesday. <laughs> We confused you. For more information, as Finn said, go to our website and click on the community tab. And we would love to see you there. And a huge, huge thank you to all of our current, existing, and even previous members for supporting our work. Yes. Also, while you're on our website, you can go over to the events tab and sign up for our next virtual meet and greet, which is going to be next week. That's going to be May 24th, 2023. These virtual meet and greets are open to anyone. They are separate from the community, so you do not have to be part of the community to join. All you must be is open-minded and respectful. So we would love to have you join us. These are two-hour events where we meet and greet as it's called it's right know. there in the name right uh we we scramble use zoom to scramble rooms and have you all meet each other and have a fun time so we would love love for you to join us and as emma said they are separate from the community but one of the cool things is so many of the community members join the meet and greets join the meet and greets and got started by joining the meet and greets and then we're like wow this is so amazing yes. so just be forewarned if you join the meet and greet you might get infected and have to join just maybe just and infected in a good way yeah, yeah. Good, best infection you ever had <laughs> wow which is a perfect transition <laughs> into anyway, our next I was just gonna say <laughs> Perfect transition to stdcheck.com. So stdcheck.com is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. <laughs> this is the way Emma and I get tested, and we've been using this service for years, and we absolutely love it. It's fast. It's affordable at $129 with uh, for a 10-panel test. When you use the links on our show notes, you save $10, and you help support the show financially. It's also super easy. Like It happens almost seamlessly. And then you get your results lightning quick. You can go out and, and have a good time. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Yes. You know, it, most people think that the best part about getting an STI test is uh -huh. what it allows you to do afterwards. Okay. But those who use stdcheck.com know that getting the test is actually the best part. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Because <laughs> it's so enjoyable. It's <laughs> so smooth and friction-free that it's just... <laughs> that is the highlight. It is an experience all by itself. If anyone else agrees with this, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voicemail yeah. and tell us. <laughs> tell us that that was the peak experience. You you now get tested just for the experience of it. Because everyone loves to like have their blood drawn. I think, you know, there are some who oh, do. Oh, totally. Totally. No, no shame on that. But like, <laughs> I just feel like in general, it's not as common of an enjoyable experience. I agree. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to speak to those, to that demo, that demographic of listeners. Can we put a bow on this? So the whole point is, <laughs> we, 
We love you all. Thank you for getting here. And Emma mentioned, you can send us a voicemail. So send us an email, send us a voicemail. That you can find on the Contact Us page on our website, normalizedinamonogamy.com. And with that, oh wait, we should tell you where to find the links for that testing in the podcast player show notes or on our website on the resources page. Just basically look in the podcast player show notes or go to our website and click around and you'll find all- I thought we were putting a bow on this. You'll find all of these things. (laughs) I was trying. (laughs) All right. We love you all. We will see you on the other side of this amazing conversation with Terry. Let's go. Well, good morning, Terry. Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here today and dive in and hear a lot more about you. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, maybe just to get us started, would you be uh, willing to just share a little bit about who is Terry and maybe just a little bit about yourself? And then we'll go back in time and learn all about where non-monogamy came into your life for the first time. Okay. (laughs) I'm Terry Lee Brussel Rogers. I'm a certified clinical hypnotherapist. I've been doing that since 1969. And I also ran my family's introduction service for 40 years, marriage-minded introductions, at the same time I was doing my hypnotherapy practice. And uh, I founded Live the Dream in 1987. That was for people interested in multiply committed relationships, group marriage, and group living. And it still meets as of today, every third Saturday. Wow. So polyamory has always been part of my life, even before the word was coined. Um, And I work with people for uh, everything from quitting smoking and losing weight to dealing with jealousy issues and uh, how to keep your your marriage together in new relationship energy situations. Uh, I do counseling and coaching of all kinds, life coaching, business coaching. So you got a lot going on. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. And been a lot going on for many, many years, which is amazing. Do you mind taking us maybe maybe starting with what is what is your relationship sort of ecosystem look like today as it stands? And maybe then we can go back and it sounds like we get to go way back in time today with you, which we're excited about. <laughs> okay. Well, I am married to uh, Craig, my primary partner. And we got married in 2018. Um, I've been married three times, counting that. And four, if you count a hand, fasting with uh, a triad that lasted for five years. I raised my children in my first marriage, which lasted uh, 14 years. And my second marriage lasted 15 years. And uh, my marriage this time is going to last for the rest of my life. We have... uh, actually a commitment to a lifelong marriage. And we have a ketubah and all that. It was the, we did it in a Jewish wedding ceremony. I also have in my life, my second husband, still part of my life, and his wife uh, visit us frequently. And we're kind of a, a semi-residential quad when that happens. <laughs> um, I have other people in my life who are water brothers um, some of whom are also my lovers. And Water Brothers comes from Stranger to Strange Land, which has been uh, a very strong influence on my life since uh, I shared water with my first Water Brother in 1969 when we were 16 years old. And he's the one who I wrote the book with um, 50 Years of Polyamory in America, Guided Tour to a Growing Movement. He's still my best friend after 50 plus years. <laughs> 
That was published by Roman Littlefield in November 11th of 2022. A wonderful Veterans Day thing. (laughs) And uh, my brother's birthday, too, on November 11th. (laughs) He said, Terry, you didn't do this for me, did you? He's not really into our lifestyle. (laughs) So you're trying to convert him, and this is your last ditch effort. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, after 50 plus years. (laughs) Indeed. If this book doesn't do it, nothing will. (laughs) Right. I love it. He's actually read it, which is. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that overview. And. I love that you wove in so much just in that in that introduction. Now, the book is, I, I should say, where the book's available. It's yeah. uh, I, I had the total delight of putting in 50 Years of Polyamory in America, a guided tour of a growing movement, and came up go, on Google and on uh, uh, Amazon and uh, all the different book uh, stores and everything, and it came up on Goodreads, and it even came up in Sweden and other countries where it's it's not translated for this, but it's available internationally, and it's going into libraries. And the the exciting thing about this is it's going into libraries and uh, universities and places where it's being placed as a uh, as a nonfiction book that I hope people are going to be using when they decide to write dissertations on polyamory. Right. Yeah. It's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so amazing. My, my dream was that it should be published by the same publisher who published Deborah Annapol's books. And we got it. Roman and Littlefield published Deborah Annapol's books. Wow. Amazing. Wow. So I, I, this is like my really living my dream. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a lifelong accomplishment, it sounds like for you. I love it. Yeah. I have written many, many books, but they are usually self published. This is the first one that I've actually had published by a publisher. Mm-hmm. Amazing. My self published stuff is on acesuccess.com and uh, on our um, reach for the stars dot today, all my audios and my my books on hypnotherapy and my books for people who want to build a hypnotherapy practice, all of that stuff I self published. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that something's been published by a publisher. Amazing. Well, links to all of your books, all of your work, your websites, everything will be in our show notes. So people don't have to remember all of that. They can go there and click links and away they go. So, and I just, they can even get choosing, finding and attracting your life mate. And if they call us, they can get a poly supplement of that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I just want to say they call 800 life mates and get it, get it there, get it there. Four, three, three, six, two, eight. Love it. I just want to say congratulations. I just that's such an amazing accomplishment. And um, you know, we haven't read the book yet, but I'm excited to dive into it and learn more. And I just am so grateful for the resource. And so thank you for the work. And we'll we're gonna dive in and talk more about your book in a little while, but we're gonna revisit your your personal story for a little bit first. Um, but we're gonna come back to the book because I have some questions around that too. All right. so you said that polyamory has been a part of your life, your entire life. Like, do you, did you grow up knowing that like alternative relationships existed? How did, how did it enter your life back then? Okay. Um, when I was 11 years old, I read Door into Summer by Robert Heinlein, proceeded to read all of his juveniles and everything I could get my hands on by Robert Heinlein. By the time I reached uh, the age of 15, I had read Stranger in a Strange Land. And my best friend, Glenn Olson, who co-wrote this book with me, had also read that. And we shared water. And at that point, 
I, I would say I became polyamorous to the extent that I shared water with other people as well. Um, and at that time I was still a virgin. So it wasn't like, well, I made love to this one. I haven't made love to that one. At a later time, I became open to lovemaking with anyone I had shared water with. Now, sharing of water, would you like me to describe what that is? I think it would probably be helpful, yeah. Yes. Okay. It's creating an expanded family. Um, the ceremony is that you share water, uh, and you say, may you never thirst, uh, drink deep of life. There are many different greetings that water brothers can give each other that are in the book. Uh, Stranger to Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. What it means today and what it mean, meant to me back then, of course, has evolved over the years. But it basically means that you are accepting somebody as your family, permanently your family. Of course, sometimes people wander off and you lose track of them. But we have an awful lot of people that have stayed in our lives for many, many years. And I've been so fortunate to have that. Some of them lived with me. Some of them didn't. Some of them were my lovers. Some of them were not. We have uh, a water brother that we just shared with a few years ago who's very much a part of our lives, and she is totally monogamous. Her polyamory idea is that it's many loves, and she has many people she loves, and we get to come to her house for things like Easter, which Jewish people don't celebrate but might like to enjoy, mm -hmm. Christmas and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we're having a Passover Seder midweek um, that she may attend by Zoom. And everybody is, you know, they're, they're, they define it in their own way. But for me, the sharing of water today means that I love this person, I trust them, and I will never throw them out of my life. Um, this is somebody who I have a permanent commitment to, like to my brother or my sister. Mm -hmm. and, and in many ways, a closer commitment because this person is always there for me. My brother's in Florida, and I love him dearly, and we have a close relationship, but he's retired to Florida. My sister I rarely speak to. Mm -hmm. so it's warm when we do. You know? right. These are people who are very much part of my life. Right. Yeah. My family by choice. Yeah. Expanded family, if you will. Yeah. Well, and I love the, you know, the, the way you describe that. And what stands out to me, too, is that, you know, the term water brother, at first, when you hear that, it can be kind of... Uh, it includes sisters as well. Exactly, the, genders. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of share the story with you a little bit about what Stranger to Strange Land is about. Um, Michael Valentine Smith, who uh, is the main character in this book, there are other characters that go through all of Heinlein's work after this and so forth, um, but Michael Valentine Smith uh, was actually raised on Mars at the time when the spaceship that had carried him there crashed and all the others perished but he was raised by Martians. So uh, the ceremony on Mars for uh, making a, a water brother is because the, the water is very um, rare on Mars. And when you share water, you're literally sharing your chance of life with your water brother. Uh, in the Bible, you'll see the, the sharing of salt on the desert and things like this and the sharing of water uh, it mentioned in a similar way. Mm -hmm. So Heinlein may have gotten the idea from there. Yeah. But uh, on Mars, there, there are not men and women the way we have them. So water brothers became, you know, water brothers. Uh, sometimes in, in Church of All Worlds, which is the real life uh, 
Church of All Worlds in, in Stranger to Strange Land. It's founded by Michael Ballantyne Smith. In the real world, it's founded by Oberon Zell, who wrote the foreword for our book, uh, 50 Years of Polyamory in America, mm-hmm. which is was wonderful. He's He is one of my Water Brothers mm-hmm. and very close to me. Um, and so we are very delighted to have that be part of the continuity of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. And Church of All Worlds was the first neo-pagan religion uh, to be legalized in the United States, <laughs> to be tax deductible and all that stuff. And it was it started about the same time Stranger to Strange Land was actually published. It was like a year or so after that. And Heinlein knew about it all along. They were in correspondence with each other, yeah. Oberon and Heinlein. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Thank you for all of that. Yeah. Well, and, and so, so my, I'm a science fiction fan, and that's a major part of my life. And um, my husband and I are working with Westercon this year, which is going to be July 4th weekend and all that. You know, amazing. Weekend before July 4th. Yeah. So go- we have a panel there on this book. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's awesome. And my husband's its webmaster. <laughs> amazing. Well, so, so going back in time to this. It sort of it sounds like even just coming out of high school you were you were sort of seeing relationships probably differently than everybody else around I mean at least somewhat differently right you weren't in didn't sound like you were in search of the one you were sort of open to love and relating in a very sort of not I don't want to say different but in a way that was probably different than the people around you at that time that's true um I in that time in my life, I became aware that it was possible to be able to love and be committed to more than one significant other. I knew that from reading Stranger to Strange Land and then the other books that I read after that. So I didn't think of uh, jealousy and possession of a partner as being my natural right. And I know a lot of people do. It's, it's funny how often somebody who comes to me for a relationship issue, like their husband had an affair or whatever, and they put him on the couch and they will never make love to him again and so forth. And once they realize that other people don't live that way, even if they choose to remain monogamous, they'll start seeing that that's different than an entitlement. It doesn't follow as naturally as you breathe air and therefore your husband must be monogamous or something. Um, they, they get it. And oftentimes they'll decide to stay together and even invite him back into their bed or her back into their bed, whichever. It's usually a woman who has this issue. Um, and they'll realize that it's a choice. They're choosing monogamy and they could have chose something else. You know, they could have chosen a more open relationship. They chose not to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, and what's interesting there is it, I think it's often not really about the act itself. It's about the agreement or the lie or the deceit. And this is a this is a thread we've heard often from people where, you know, they've gone from an infidelity into non-monogamy because it really wasn't an issue with the, the act. It was, well, why do we have to hide? Why do we have to be secretive? we could talk about this and we could, we could do this in a different way. And I think, yeah. And then come to a conclusion as to what really works, you Mm -hmm. know, whether you want to do it this way or do it that way, but realize that it's a choice. Right. Right. And, and that you're not entitled to anything really, but that the agreements are really the foundation, right? That I'm not, I'm not entitled to monogamy, but if, if I make a monogamous commitment with somebody, then I, f- I guess for me, I feel like we should hold that commitment. And, That's if, right. and if one of us can't, then then let's talk about that. But it, you know, like you said, it's not an entitlement or just 
Yeah, in a marriage ceremony, in most marriage ceremonies, there is something in there saying you agree to cleave under under her only, under him only, and so forth. Of course, I've never had one in a marriage ceremony (laughs) I participated in. At the time when I was 18 years old, when I married my first husband, I thought, you know, I had thought at that point, well, maybe I have to stop playing this way because I'll be a grown up and I but my husband insisted that we have an open relationship commitment in the ceremony and we actually had readings from stranger to strange land which was done by Glenn wow and he's and he's read I, that for the other marriage ceremonies that I've had, and I've read it for his too. <laughs> so that that would that would probably um... except his last one. <laughs> his last one didn't, didn't have that in it, but so, anyway. So that so that would probably imply that that people in your life. This isn't a secret. People probably know, and it sounds like you were open pretty early with family. <laughs> oh yes, I'm. I'm very open. We we had uh, a discussion. My granddaughter wanted me to, to do my audio recordings in a closet so we wouldn't have noise. And um, my audio engineer, who's also the one who's uh, my, my, my second husband, who's part of our, our group, um, he said, well, I don't know. Terry doesn't like to be in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't care what type of closet. I'm not getting in there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm curious how... Uh, and if you're okay sharing, like what what year was it that you first got married? Because I I feel like having an 18 year old come to you and say, first of all, I'm getting married, and second of all, this marriage is going to include a commitment ceremony. And yes, the word polyamory probably wasn't there, but it's going to include a commitment yeah. ceremony that is akin to loving multiple people and being in an open relationship. Like those, I think, would be shocking today for an 18 year old's wedding, but I know your wedding was a few years ago. <laughs> yes. I'm 69 Okay, <laughs> and proud of every year. <laughs> I, I was not trying to shame you in any way, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was married when I was 18 and, um, my parents, um, uh, had issues with it. My father, uh, well, I don't know if it was at that time, but but he had to accept it. He was paying for the wedding here. He could have said, no, I'm not going to look. But we really talked about, and my father passed in 2006, so there's no reason I should share this with whoever I'm talking to. Um, my dad thought that he was uh, monogamous, sort of, and he had never been really monogamous because he had women outside of the marriages he was in, which was one reason why my parents got divorced. Um, with his uh, second wife, he thought he was going to be, you know, he, he would be monogamous. Well, he thought that she thought he was monogamous because he wasn't. And when we would go to uh, visit Grandma Hannah with uh, his his girlfriend in the car and she also would visit Grandma Hannah, and, and my kids were in the car and all of that. It was like, well, Dad, why do you think my lifestyle is not okay, but that is? She, he said, well, you know, my wife doesn't know about it. And I laughed because his wife knew all about it, and she and Annie were making the plans around their calendars when we had those outings, and my dad thought he was getting away with something. <laughs> After that, he kind of opened his mouth, closed it again, and, uh, oh, well, you know, <laughs> I guess I'm not going to argue about um about polyamory or, or open relationships at that time. Of course, this was this was years later, but uh, he he never had been completely monogamous. And I sure knew it. So when he started arguing with me about that when I was eighteen, I said, "Whoa, I don't want to hear about this. Let's just let that go." 
Wow. Yeah. It sounds like everybody knew about it. Like <laughs> the wife knew about it. The girlfriend knew about it. They knew they, they were in touch with each other. They were coordinating. Like, that's amazing <laughs> that he's over here. Doing it the poly way. <laughs> The, the only person being unethical about the non-monogamy was him, and everybody else in the relationship was doing it. <laughs> now, my mother, on the other hand, my mother and father got divorced when I was five years old. My mother never touched another man the rest of her life until she, you know, she died in 87. Wow. wow. So uh, I sure didn't want to live that way, which was one of my motivations, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I am not going to be my mother. Well, at the age of 69 with a, a, a husband that I'm very much in love with and uh, lovers who are water brothers and part of my life and part of my expanded family, um, I, I feel like I really have, have fulfilled my, my commitment to not live like my mother. I didn't. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And, and seemingly not your father either in terms of your ability to be open. So I'm... Right. I'm, I'm absolutely open. Um, and, you know, I, I uh, performed a wedding ceremony um, last September, I guess, uh, while, while my husband was, um, was in chemo for – he had cancer. He, he – survived it and, and has come through it extremely well. Wow, amazing. But I performed a wedding ceremony, my first wedding ceremony. I'm now a, a member of the clergy of Church of All Worlds, and that's exciting. And I have a license to perform those ceremonies, and we had water sharing as part of the ceremony mm -hmm. wow. and connected all those people together and everything. So I've, I've come a long way since uh, being that little girl whose mother was, you know, celibate all those years. Right. Yeah. Well, coming, so coming out of your, your wedding, your first wedding into a world where you're openly non-monogamous, what does it look like for you? Right. Cause you're still, I think at that point, you're kind of a trailblazer. You're, you're pr probably proposing things that are a little bit against the grain or a lot of bit against the grain. How did it, how did it play out for you? You're, that's a, pretty big shift and a lot of learning i imagine at that age um which age are we talking about? back when you first got married like when you're oh, you're okay. 18 18 years old yeah uh, I'm, and I'm, into your 20s yeah that right. age and, and i married richard hopwood when i was 18 years old and i had my first child when i was 19 and she was born nine months after the ceremony because she was much smarter than we were and she waited right okay <laughs> <laughs> he was a uh uh, minister of um, of the Church of Hawaii Ne, and uh, part of the, what they believed was that, uh, and he was founder of Church of Hawaii Ne. He was part of a, a church that that came from, um, but the belief system there was that uh, you could have um, multiply committed relationships. That was part of it, and it also was based on the uh, the Huna and the the ancient Hawaiian teachings and all of that. So um, we went to Hawaii, and we were founding Church of Hawaii Nei there, and we uh, lived there for a while, and um, then came back here when I got pregnant, and when we realized I was pregnant, and uh, decided to build our lives here in, in uh, California. And we uh, shortly, we our, our water brothers, our nest, continued to meet together, and uh, was very much a part of our lives as we built our lives and uh, my my daughter's first nanny was one of my water brothers water kid if you will she was a girl and um we then ran into um still remember them after all these years uh 
I was looking for a babysitter for my daughter when she was very small and advertised for that. And Vicky called me up and we were talking to each other and finding that we both read Stranger to Strange Land. And oh my gosh, wasn't this exciting? And they were part of Family Synergy, which was the first organization that I got involved with that was, was for polyamory. And um, now by the time we were done talking on our first conversation, we had our group marriage already built and we were going to tell our husbands about it when they got home from work, right? <laughs> it did not work out that way. Turned out we had a little bit of difference in, in our lifestyles in terms of being able to make time commitments and they didn't want to have time commitments and they wanted total spontaneity and I wanted to live my life in, in, my, uh, in my calendar, which I still do. Mm-hmm. So that didn't work out, but they, they brought us to Family Synergy, which was the next major milestone in my life. I became very much a part of that organization, and it was for people interested in multiply committed relationships, group marriage, and group living. Um, I became part of the, uh, the uh, governing board for many years, and uh, I had my first Passover Seder that was a real Passover Seder was I, I attended the Family Synergy one that was conducted by Chaim Levy, um, who was the founder of Family Synergy. And uh, we were um, lovers for many, many years. And he was uh, very important in my life and taught my children about Judaism. And as I was raised uh, Jewish, but we didn't really practice much, and my family did, oh, you know, uh, good God, let's eat, let's, you know, have a, a short prayer for Passover and everything. And he did the complete job. And he was um, really good for my kids to learn about Judaism, huh. as well as living our poly lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Terry, I, I'm feeling like if there is a thing that exists in the world, you were part of the founding organization of it in some way or knew the founder. Around poly or non-monogamy. It seems like everything. And I, <laughs> I think it's amazing. You're like, well. Well, that's kind of what's in our book is that I did have communication with a lot of people that were really major in this movement, including Oberon Zell, who founded Church of All Worlds, and um Stan Dale, who founded the Human Awareness Institute, was was also somebody that uh, I knew, and he and his wife were very special to me. And I attended their workshops and everything. Uh, Ryan Nearing uh, and Deborah Annapol, who were founded Loving More, um, they were also part of my life and, and were people I knew as they weren't my water brothers, but they were close friends. And uh, Deborah uh, addressed Live the Dream on a few occasions, which I really appreciated. Brilliant woman. Um, so, yes, I, I had connections with a lot of different people. And then Glenn had connections also with Morehouse and was kind of an outside member of that community. So between us, we've had a lot of connections with, and then World Polyamory with uh, Sasha and, and Janet. They had, that was followed uh, following uh, Loving More. Uh, yeah, we knew these people. That's so amazing. That's how we were able to write a book like this, right? Right. No, it's amazing. It's it's. <laughs> It's so much firsthand. It wasn't like, well, I went and read some history books about this thing. It was like, no, no, I was there. I lived the, it. I was there when the when the thing became a thing, and I think that's right. just incredible, and I love it. And I, I was at the bicentennial of the the Heinlein, um, the Heinlein bicentennial, and presented there on group marriage and uh, 
I now pronounce you how to do a, a wedding ceremony for this kind of organization and that sort of thing. Uh, wow. I'm, I've been a member of the Heinlein Society for many, many years. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Well, the, the person who wrote Heinlein's uh, book, Bill Patterson, his, uh, his authorized biography, uh, presented in my living room. As far as I know, that was his last presentation on the book. He, he passed on wow. shortly after that. But he, yes, I knew him and he was here in my living room presenting to my organization. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. I just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> there's, just so, there's so much information and amazing. Like you've lived an incredible life and just thank you for sharing. You know, part of this is being a, um, being a science fiction fan, mm. because in science fiction fandom, you get to know the authors. While everybody else is just reading the book, you get to know them. I had Marion Zimmer Bradley come and do a presentation for Family Synergy. And uh, it was a great presentation. It was, it was, it, it was wonderful. Uh, and we connected, and she invited me to her home for um, Easter, uh, you know, the, the spring vacation. And when I went there, I got to know her, and she had written the Darkover books, which are on polyamory. And my daughter uh, became involved with her son in an off-and-on relationship that lasted until he died a couple of years ago. Um, and I, I know these people. So when I give a presentation on Darkover, I'm able to talk about what Marion said about mm -hmm. it. That's amazing. And when I give a presentation on the Herod experiment, I'm, I'm able to talk about what Robert River had to say, and the the fact that I would call him when I I you know when I would read uh, Proposition Thirty One about group marriage, it's a fictional book about group marriage, and say, "Wow, this really helps me to feel like it's worth doing what I'm doing," and he would he would help me to. Uh, to to handle it when only one or two people showed up for a meeting or something, right. you know, because I could call Robert River himself and discuss the matter with. Him. Yeah, amazing. I, I had a question, yeah. like hearing you talk about all of this and how long you've been doing it, and and a comment you made early on in our conversation around that you didn't feel like ownership or you were entitled or jealousy. All of these different things were not really things that you sort. It's not that I never felt jealous. That was going to be my Let's question. Be clear was about this. Yes. There's a difference between I don't have mm -hmm. a right to feel jealous and I don't have an entitlement to own my partner. Right. I believe I don't have an entitlement to own my partner, right. but I also can feel jealousy. And when I make agreements with my partner, um, it's, it recognizes that certain things are okay and certain things are not okay with yeah. me. I don't want him going off for uh, the night or certainly for a couple of weeks with somebody else while I stay by myself. And I've seen marriages that are open marriages where that's acceptable, where that works. But uh, one time I had uh, a man in my life who I, I cared a lot about, a water brother, a dear friend, and he had been basically lying to his wife about being in, you know, having other relationships. And then he decided to come clean with her and be polyamorous. Well, he expected me to try to convince her that it was okay for him to go off with his girlfriend for two weeks and leave her alone. And he could go to Hawaii. And, and I said, Oh, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not going to try to convince her of that. You guys had better get your agreements together and figure out what she's comfortable with and what she's not. She's your wife. She's your primary partner. 
You, you have to make sure that everybody in this is comfortable with what you are doing. Right. So or, I've, I've had, or don't be in that partnership, right? Like it's not. a Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Either if you, you want to be in this partnership, you have to make this person feel loved, comfortable and cared about. And, and that when you go out, you're going to be back at, you know, nine o'clock or midnight or whatever you promised, or you'll bring the lady with you and she'll join you in bed, whatever you guys have decided upon. But it's not okay to, to lie to her, go off for a long period of time if she's not comfortable with that. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you kind of got right on the question, which what I, what I was going to ask is, is, it sounds like you are infinitely put together and this has been a, just a breeze for you that you don't have any struggles. No. And I was curious if <laughs> that's not, I, I, I understand that's not true for anybody. No, I agree. I'm just curious, like, would, would you be open to talking about a few of the things that, that maybe you, you have worked through, or maybe you're still working through them. They still come up. Well, my, my darkest hour, the, the worst thing that I can bring up is that I tried to put together a quad in 2005 and that was with my second husband who i'd been uh, married to since uh, 19 we just celebrated our our 29th anniversary of our wedding and our 30th anniversary of our hand fasting um in in march so for this this month uh but we tried to put together a a quad out of a triad we had a triad for five years with, with marcus and he was also in a triad briefly with um 14 months with Craig and I and, and, you know, is, is somebody who's been in our lives. Um, but then we added someone who uh, was actually a virgin at the age of 58. And that was a mistake. Um, she couldn't really handle polyamory and she had all kinds of strange ideas about what the commitments should be and wound up damaging my relationship with my husband to the point where it broke up. Uh, we actually got divorced and it was a horrifying thing. And if I ever came close to getting, a, you know, being in a monogamous relationship, it would have been after that situation. Uh, and the worst part of it was that after breaking up the relationship, after uh, breaking up my relationship with my husband, she continued to, while he was still living here and we were trying to put things back together, we weren't divorced yet. We were like separated, mm-hmm. sort of. The plan was to get divorced um, at that time. Now, the um, she continued to see my husband after everything had blown up and she was bad mouthing me to the whole community and so forth. And he, he continued to see her once a week or not. It wasn't once a week. It was worse than that. It was much worse. She was seeing her every other night and then he would come back to me and it was a total nightmare. One thing that I really learned from that is that you do not continue a relationship with somebody that your partner does not get along with even or has a a serious dislike for or any of that. You certainly don't continue a relationship with somebody who is their, you know, mortal enemy. That's insane. You can't do that. Um, Under certain conditions, if the problem is an ongoing jealousy problem, it isn't only happening in that relationship, I would recommend triad counseling or something like that with a poly counselor, somebody who understands the situation, not somebody who is a a regular marriage counselor who's just going to tell you, well, give up all that nonsense. You know, you certainly don't want that. But frankly, there are enough marriage and family counselors in the poly community that that isn't even a problem these days. You could find such a person, and that person could possibly give you counseling. We tried that, and that it was too late for that to work at that point. Um, we had a very good counselor mm-hmm. for that, but it didn't work, and it was a nightmare. 
So I put myself back together after that happened, came close to monogamy by the closest I came was that I was in a dating app where I was not mentioning that I was poly and that I, I was acting like I was available for a monogamous relationship. But I stopped that because I realized after a few months of that, that that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. I was not going to become monogamous. I've never been monogamous. So I, I never did that. But, um, that was my nightmare of the soul, and I came through it and came out still able to do this lifestyle and uh, got Paul back into my life as a lover, and uh, his relationship today is an open one, and he uh, helps conduct uh, uh, workshops with us and all that. And we we basically uh, got through it and um, have a good relationship today, and instead of hating each other forever, which is what might've happened in a monogamous situation, we came back to a relationship with each other. And how, how were you able to do that? Cause it sounds like that was a pretty traumatic and, and I mean, it, it ended your marriage. I mean, that's how extreme. It was extreme. Yeah. It was traumatic and it was horrifying. And it really, I've, my sister, who is totally not into my lifestyle, said, you allowed the predator to move into your home. What did you expect to have happen? Well, you know, I, that was pretty upsetting to take. But the truth of the matter was, I needed to be very careful about who I allowed to move into our home and become part of our marriage. And uh, actually have a, a, um, a quad ceremony and everything at a science fiction convention, no less. But it was real, and it, we would have honored it, but it just blew up in our faces. Mm-hmm. So I would certainly recommend that if you're going to be involved with somebody on that level, that you make sure that it's somebody who has experience in the lifestyle and experience in even uh, a monogamous relationship. She didn't have that. Uh, they have to know how to live with with other people, and this person had no idea how to do that. Right. So how how are you and and your husband able to go through that and then divorce and then bring that back around? I think that to me is is actually pretty beautiful. It it is very beautiful, and the way we did it was that both of us, first of all, were always poly, and from the time we were teenagers, we were both in family synergy together. We were dear friends for many, many years, even while we were, you know, involved in a, a bad separation and so forth. We still worked together because we believed that certain things were honorable and certain things were not. We worked things out so that it was fair to both of us. And we were still going together to things that were in like Orange County, like governing board meetings for family synergy. We would drive to these things together because how silly for us to drive two separate cars when we could go together and we both lived in the Valley. And, you know, we, we didn't just stop being part of each other's lives. And he continued to have a close relationship with my grown children. And I wasn't going to take that away from him. And he'd helped raise the grandchildren. So he, you know, they visited us regularly and so forth. So they didn't want to give him up or stop having a relationship with him. So we still had all of this going on and we couldn't really stop being a part of each other's lives, even if we weren't, you know, having a romantic relationship at that point. And then we broke through to the point where we could have a romantic relationship. And that meant a great deal to me. And we realized that we did not want to lose each other as part of our lives. 
and uh, the, he's married now. And uh, I, Craig and I went out there and helped with the ceremony and everything. Married her a couple of years ago, but they've been together for over ten years. And uh, she accepts the relationship. And at one point, you know, we, we had an issue with the bed wasn't big enough for four people. So we got a bigger bed that's big enough for four people. You know? <laughs> must be a bit. This should be your worst problem that your bed is right. Big enough, right. right. It must be in a big bedroom. <laughs> <sighs> or the bedroom's all bed. <laughs> Just wall to wall mattress. <laughs> Well, Paul was having to float between the big, uh, you know, the, the double uh, uh, bed that we had in the living room that's pull out and, and our king size bed. And it, that just wasn't comfortable because we want to be able to cuddle at night when we're sleeping. And also we got the bigger mm -hmm. bed and did yeah. it. Yeah. We were selling them for a while. <laughs> we still have them. We still have a connection to get them. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm, oh, you go ahead. Em. No, I was just say like the clarification, bigger, it's like a bigger bed than a king bed, correct? It's a double queen. Okay. A little bit smaller than a double queen because it had to fit our bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I was curious on something maybe that's sort of been underlying this, which is a conversation around polyamory or non-monogamy as an identity versus something that maybe is a thing that we do as people, right? And it sounds like you, you kind of said, well, I came out of that. I was sort of monogamous because I put it in my profile. But then you're like, eh, I realize that's really not me. And it sounds like non-monogamy. Well, the only, no, I, I didn't put in my profile that I was poly. Was right, right, right. You, it was a, it, an <laughs> yeah. omission. And that, that stopped after three Right, 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 <laughs> right. It wasn't, hey, I'm monogamous. It was just, I'm just going to leave that little nugget out for now. But it, it sounds like what you kind of came around to was non-monogamy is sort of who you are. It is your relational identity. It's not a thing you do. Well, I don't like to, I, by the way, I don't refer to myself as non-monogamous. Okay. I refer to myself as polyamorous okay. um, because I, I am not a not, I am a yes. I am a, I am a, a affirmative polyamorous Got person. Got it. I love it. Yes. And so do you feel it, it, you're, the polyamory for you is, again, there's sort of this conversation that goes on we hear often of, well, I'm polyamorous by identity. It's my, my maybe my relational orientation versus well, yeah, I can do it. Like, it's a thing I do, but like, I don't need it. I don't, I could do it or I could take it or leave it. Yeah. Well, I'm really not. I could take it or leave <laughs> it. That's so much a part of who I am. And, and Paul too, my, my, my second husband, he's, um, we were always this way and we never had any adult relationships that were not this mm -hmm. way, any romantic relationships that were not this way. So you know, it's just, it's who we are. It'd be like asking a cat to become a dog. We, you know, we're, we're poly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. I, I'm curious too. your current husband who's sitting next to you uh, <laughs> and we're excited. He's here too. Um, <laughs> how did the two of you, I guess, I meet and how did that relationship develop in the middle of like trying to, I'm assuming trying to repair with your ex-husband and all of, all of that. Well, before I got involved with Craig, uh, we had already repaired that situation. We were okay. we were fine with each other. Um, we were actually staying at that time. There was uh, Athena and Paul. Let's see, we were sharing a room. Athena and Paul, me and Marcus, and uh, I met. I re-met, I guess I'd seen him off and on over the years at science fiction conventions, and he was behind the table at uh, Lost Con our Los Angeles science fiction convention that, that we 
are part of. And he was telling people why it was important to believe in the space program. Most of the pe- people already knew that, but anyway, <laughs> they, he was he was telling them how important it was. They should contribute to it. And at, at nineteen. 87, I had handed him a live the dream flyer and he wasn't ready for that kind of relationship. And then he was married and he was, then he was not married for many years and all of this stuff. And then in 2016, I hand him a live the dream flyer again at the same table, right? And this time he was ready. This time we went Regency dancing together. This time he became part of my life. He came to the next Live the Dream meeting, and the rest is history. <laughs> I love it. And he was—he became my poly prince. He really learned about polyamory. He had been monogamous, and, and he had been, you know, celibate for a long time after his first marriage, and um, he learned polyamory. So, and he learned it beautifully, and he helps me conduct workshops and everything. Amazing. Craig, can we get a thumbs up from off screen if that's all accurate? Honey, do you want to? <laughs> thumbs up. Excellent. <laughs> uh, that was way funnier for us who could see it than for you listening, but it was amazing. So right. I can tell it my way. I, I don't think you'd want to include this in, in your podcast of the interview with Terry, but it might give you. You can you want, or if you want. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Go for it. We'd love it. Okay. So, so filling in some of the details. But the specific story here, uh, I was at the table for the National Space Society, or specifically OASIS, Organization for the Advancement of Space Industrialization and Settlement, the Greater Los Angeles Area Chapter of the National Space Society, which, which I, uh, with which I was heavily invested in uh, 19, in 1980s. And so I was at the table there and saying, yes, space is great, space is wonderful, uh, when, when I first met Terry. Uh, and she passed me the flyer, and I remembered that. That flyer, that incident stuck in my mind. Uh, in 1987, you, In 1987. Correct? Yeah. And as, this as, was 2016 now, already, at, right? At the yeah. time I was, I was a celibate, I eventually uh, got into a marriage, and then eventually the marriage broke up, uh, and I was celibate again. And then we go forward to, again, the last con. And uh, this time I was thinking... Well, maybe there's more to life than celibacy. <laughs> uh, In walks now, Terry. <laughs> so, so there's several interesting things here. Ter- Terry has patterns for par- partnering patterns. I'm part of her partnering pattern, except celibacy is not a usual attribute of her partner. <laughs> no, not at I, all. They're very unusual there. But on the other hand, I knew her first husband when I was about 12 or, or 13. I, 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 I saw him. I knew his mother. That I can definitively say. Yes, I knew her first husband's mother. He was a co-worker of my father. Uh, she, she was a co-worker of my father. I knew her. I talked to her. I remember her. He's a computer analyst and uh, top level a computer analyst. Oh. And, you know, he's he's Jewish and and he's he has a wonderful voice. My dad had a wonderful voice. And there are lots of these things that that made him like the perfect partner for me. If I if I gave you a list of everything I wanted in a man, you wouldn't believe it. And if I were the matchmaker getting this list, I would throw the person out of my office and say, you can't have all that. I got all of it. Yeah. So, so some of uh, Terry's friends, longtime friends, such as the, the Regency dancing instructor, I knew him before Terry knew him. <laughs> yeah. he, he taught a Regency dancing class at UCLA in uh, 1979 that I attended. 
So we were basically part of a similar community, and that yeah. helped a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was amazing. Uh, and he was part of Renaissance Pleasure Fair. He was one of the... I, I was a performer at the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. So which was, is very I, important in my life, too. I'm also a big science fiction reader. I wasn't active as a, a fan getting to know the authors, per se, although I did meet a few of them at, at Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Science, uh, science Fantasy Society uh, meetings, uh, so, uh, so I read Heinlein. Heinlein's novels, his juveniles, were an important part of my life. My focus wasn't on Stranger in a Strange Land. It was more on uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And that's also which an has, important part has of the my line life. marriage. So I, it's I, multi-generational so group marriage. So I, I read that in, what, elementary school or something? I knew about these alternative uh, patterns. And I've also done a lot of uh, reading on world cultures and so forth, uh, some of which... Uh, was may not have been quite uh, quite uh, quite correct. We now know that there was some uh, anthropological work uh, done in the Polynesian societies, which may have been the Polynesians pulling the leg of the uh, the interviewer there. But uh, <laughs> but 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 yes, yeah, so I've I've been aware of all these things. I just wasn't participating or practicing in in them until I met Terry. One of the moments that that sticks in my mind is as convincing Terry and her friends that I was serious about this. So we were in a Live the Dream meeting, and we were having discussion of uh, what it means to, to own someone or uh, claim someone. I said, look, I can own a coffee table. I found it on the coffee table right there. I can own that. I cannot own another person. And to me, that's the fundamental distinction that you need to understand to be successful in this lifestyle. And that brings up something else that's important. This worked, even though Craig had not lived this lifestyle uh, before, because he had read Heinlein. He had read Moon is a Harsh Mistress. He had read Stranger to Strange I'd Land. He read Marion Zimmer Bradley. He read <laughs> Marion Zimmer Bradley. When somebody tries to tell you they're going to become polyamorous and they've never known anything about it at all or even thought about it, they don't suddenly become us because they read the book at the age of, you know, 45 or 50 or 60. Um, that's, that's something that I am aware of. They need to have some kind of a grounding that allows them to consider this to be a real possibility in their lives. Or they might go into it just briefly because they really want the person that they're, that is polyamorous and then they'll not be able to handle it. And now you've got a divorce on your hands. Right. Um, Oberon Zell is more adamant about this than I am. He's uh, his attitude is if they aren't poly, I don't even want to talk to them. Don't bother me. You know. <laughs> right. Well, and I I think what's uh, you know as a romantic partner, you'll be happy to talk to anybody just to talk to them. But sure, yeah. it's, it's, sure. Well, I think what's what's key there, and what I think I took away from what you said was, you know, Craig, Craig's ability to to kind of navigate non-monogamy wasn't because he read a handful of science fiction books. There's, there's something. Well, no, it was, but it was, it was when he read them. That's the important thing. Okay. If you read them as a kid, it starts forming your relationship thoughts, your, your, what you're open to. Right. If you read them, you know, wow, I make people read Stranger Strange Land before I'll go out with them, <laughs> but because that doesn't make them us. That sure. just means they know something about it. Well, and, it, and right, maybe give them another 30 or 40 years of thinking on this, right? I think the, the, the point there is it's, it is a core sort of relational belief system or even a relational 
sort of how you do things that that makes it possible. Yeah. And that some people that works for them and some people it's it doesn't, right? They they see relationships or they view relationships in a way that maybe works monogamously or works in certain contexts, but for the life that you're living, the life that you want to live, or maybe polyamory or non-monogamy in general, is a much harder adaptation to make. Um, well, it's very different from whether you have affairs. Um, I know one time in the Family Synergy newsletter, there was, um, I found it and put it in there, um, that, uh, oh, it was a little cartoon. Mom, I think he's really serious about me. He brought me home to meet his wife. <laughs> and when I read that, I had been in it so long that I just saw it as well. That That's right. Why, what's what's the joke? And then I read it back again the way the, the average public would look at it. I thought, oh, yeah, I guess that wouldn't be the way most people would do it. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, yeah, I think like, yeah, to me, and I guess this is my sort of interpretation of kind of what you were saying, like the the books, reading those books at a really young age sort of sets the pattern, sets the mindset for what a relationship is and how we relate to one another, not not owning other people, not feeling like they owe you or that, that they're entitled or you're entitled or, and it's learning those things early on and then living them for a very long time because it takes practice, right? Especially in a world where there is so much entitlement and there's so much Oh well, there's patriarchy, and it's the man owns the woman, and the right. There's a lot of this stuff that underlies our society, and if you learn early on a different way to see that, and then you live that for thirty or forty years, you don't come out the other side still feeling like, well, this person owes me, Emma owes me things, other partner owes me, everybody owes me something. It's hey, we all have. Well, I don't to believe in entitlement anyway, in a lot of different ways. For sure, the people who aren't willing to, uh, you know, get a job because I think they're entitled to an income or whatever. I don't believe in that either. I I teach, you know, they to be self reliant, to be responsible for your own life. I think that's really important, and that's and integral to stranger in a strange land. Thou art God does not mean that you have just won an award and it's free, or we're going to baptize you or something. It means you are. God, you are responsible for everything you see in your own life. You are responsible for that. You can't blame other people for it. You can't spend your life blaming your parents for not raising you right or whatever. Thou art God is a really important point in Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that mirrored in um, Starship Troopers. With not the movie, that ghastly movie, but the, the book Starship Troopers talks about personal responsibility. And one thing that um, Bill Patterson said was that if you don't understand the Starship Troopers and, and Stranger in a Strange Land are telling you the same thing, you don't, you missed what Einlein's trying to say. You don't understand. So, it, you know, you're responsible. Somebody who puts their own lives between the war's uh, destruction and their, their sacred home, their loved family, is taking responsibility on a very high level. And in Stranger in a Strange Land, it's the thou art God is another indication of personal responsibility mm-hmm. all through Heinlein's books. It's personal responsibility, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing. And, and yeah. really is, uh, I think when, and we don't need to go into this conversation too deep because I know we're, we're coming up on an hour and we want to give you a chance to, to talk about your book a little more, but I almost feel like that's a good sort of natural closing or ending around personal responsibility and, 
I think how critical it is in non-monogamy and in monogamy and in any relationship that like it's especially critical in our lifestyle because you you what you're doing is affecting all the people in your life you have to be responsible for uh getting tested yeah i do that regularly whether i have a new partner in my life or i don't and my life is pretty settled with the partners that I have. I'm right. happy with where I am. But it's still important that you do that and that you take responsibility for whether you hurt somebody, whether you 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 know are honest with a person that you meet somewhere, you know, outside of, of a polyamory meeting and tell them, yes, I'm married. And if you get involved with me, it'll be part of that relationship, that sort of thing. Yeah. All personal responsibility, be honest with people. I want to cover a couple of things that I don't want missed because they're important to me. So I please lose them. Um, I work with people to help them to handle jealousy issues as a hypnotherapist. And uh, they learn how to relax. They learn greater self-awareness, greater self-control. We work with emotional awareness, control, and expression. They learn how to react to potentially stressful or jealousy-related situations with emotional calm, mental problem-solving behavior, feeling good about themselves, feeling so secure within themselves that they know that it's okay for their partner to be able to be with somebody else, and that's not going to break up their relationship. And I, I also add to that coaching about when it could break up the relationship, like what happened to me, because I'm not... Um, you know, I'm polyamorous, not Pollyanna-ish. Um, they, you, you need to be aware of what could be a danger to your relationship. So I think that's important, too. When I do coaching, I'm aware of that. I'm not just overlooking things like that. Mm-hmm. But you need to be able to be in control of yourself and be able to be secure within yourself. And I help people to do that. Secure in yourself, secure in the relationship. I also want to mention that um, Live the Dream uh, meets on... Uh, third Saturdays on Zoom as well as in person, and they can go to livethedream.org to get more information on that. Uh, they can also call 800-LIFEMATES, 543-3628 to talk to us, uh, or 818-886-0069. I've got all these six nines in my life. That's two. Uh, and to get information or to get recordings for Intimacy without jealousy in an open relationship for um, sexual enhancement for couples, triads, morads, and so forth. Uh, and all of that, asuccess.com or reachforthestars.today has a streaming version of all this stuff. Reachforthestars.today. So all of this stuff is available, and I'd be delighted to talk to people who want more information on it or who, you know, are interested in, in uh, hypnosis coaching or coming to a live the dream meeting. Mm -hmm. And and as far as our book is concerned, I do want to say what that's, I want to say what that's kind of all about because we really haven't done that. So I'd really like to do that. Please. We would love, we would love you to do that. Yes. 50 years of polyamory in America is a guided tour to a growing movement. It's unique among the many books about polyamory because of the scope of this book is the entire history of the polyamory movement. Polyamory literally many loves challenges the relationship norm monogamy. Instead of concentrating on the experiences of a few people, 
people exploring alternative lifestyles. This is an exploration of two generations of Americans, the people in the organizations they founded, what they have chosen to do, and how it changed their lives and affected the culture as a whole. Written in an entertaining and easily accessible style, our book covers the history of alternative sexual relationship styles, starting with a quick peek at colonial times, the Mormon and Oneida movements in the 1840s through 70s, and then goes into um, modern day, starting in the 1950s and right into the 21st century. And it goes into Summer of Love and how that changed things. And it goes into the... Uh, the civil rights movement and how that came in. The um, It goes into concentrating on uh, when people are allowed to be married to uh, this, to a different color of person. They're, and then in 2016, 2017, they're allowed to be married to the same sex of person. And then they can have um, domestic partnerships with more than one person, and that's in Massachusetts and a couple of other places. These changes are actually happening in the real world, and I'm what I want is for that to continue into our future, for there to be more and more freedom to love who you want to love and to have you, the kind of family you want to have, a, uh, a triad of, of men who wrote um, three dads uh, and a baby, uh, is, is one of those things. And the changes are still happening and are still really exciting. I want to see that happening. It concerns me that things like Roe versus Wade are, re, are, are reversing that trend and that specifically the Equality of Marriage Act left out polyamory. Are you aware of that? It mm -hmm. specifically left out polyamory. That's horrifying. What I want to see happening is that we have a right to live our lives with the people we love in the way we want to live them. And I have defended that in court in my own life and been in situations where that was necessary. And I, I see the people in the gay community have defended it in court in their lives and have gone through a whole lot of, of hell that we could have the sort of freedom we have today. And I'm proud to be part of the poly community and the people that stand up and say, this is who I am and this is what I believe in. And each person has a right to live in the way that he or she feels is best for them. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Thank you, Terry. That's amazing. I, I'm curious, how long did it take you and Glenn to write this book? How long did it take us to write the book? Uh-huh. It was about five years, and you know, obviously, our own lives came up and, the, and everything, and to get it all done and all. And then we had our arguments over uh, how to say this and how to say that, of course, and what, yeah. what, what wouldn't, and we kind of came to some agreements that were um, that worked for for all of us and our publisher, who didn't want to be dealing with this in court and everything. Um, so finally, it all worked, and it was published in. Um, you know, last year, mm -hmm. 2022, November 11th, and it was such a wonderful celebration that we came through all of the issues and all of the, the stuff and made it, and our friendship intact, too. Which was, <laughs> right, which is key. Point, you know? Yeah, which is key, <laughs> when you try to do something so stressful with someone else. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So we are going to be at a panel at WesterCon at the Clarion Hotel. That's the next thing that Glenn and I are going to be doing together. And uh, that'll be on um, July uh, 3rd. No, July 2nd. I'm sorry. It's July 2nd. And it's Sunday right before the... Um, right before the uh, 4th of July weekend. And we're looking forward to that. We'll have books available there. And that'll be in Anaheim, right? Like a block from Disneyland. So people can buy a trip to Disneyland with it. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, and you can find uh, that on, on the Westercon website, which is Westercon. What? Westercon 75. Westercon 75. Awesome. Well, 75 well, years of Westercon. Amazing. Wow. Well, links, wow. Again, link, there. links for that and everything you've mentioned will be in the show notes. Um, right. And yeah. uh, the, the phone number to reach me for hypnotherapy or coaching and that sort of thing is 800 goal now 462-5669 or frankly, uh, 800 life mates goes to the same answer. You know, Got it. Well, those, those, those awesome. numbers will be and in the show notes. dot org. Very important because all of my newsletters that I've been doing for the last thirty five years uh, are available there. Many of them are, and you can get more by calling me. Okay. Wonderful. 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 Yes. Yes. Thank you, Terry, for everything. We will have links, as Finn said, in the show notes, and we are so excited to share your story and and get this out there, and hopefully send people to read your book. Um. Thank you. I, I, I do. Yeah. Just thank you again, Terry, for everything today. We are so grateful to have this time with you and are so grateful for all of the amazing work that you've done for many, many, many years. And we're just thank you for your time and all of it. This has really been a pleasure. I so enjoyed working with you too. And I really felt comfortable sharing my life with you. Wonderful. Well, Good. thank you. That, yes. That, That's a flattering <laughs> comment. So thank you. And Lovely. enjoy your sunny Southern California day. We we used to live down there, so we happen to know it's usually sunny if we say that, if it's not snowing, which is a new thing in 2023. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And we're back. A huge thank you to Terry for coming on the podcast and for sharing everything you did. We loved our conversation and thank you for all of the amazing work that you have done as well. We're just so, so grateful. And a quick reminder, you can check out Terry's book, 50 Years of Polyamory in America, a guided tour of a growing movement. Um, find You can find that using the links in the show notes and also... While you're there, you can find links to everything else that Terry mentioned in this interview. So go check it out, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab. It's all listed right there. Yes. And one more quick thing that Terry asked us to mention here in the outro and we wanted to clarify was two of the people that Terry talks about uh, that she knows and has spent time with and, and sort of moved through this space with were Oberon Zell and Morning Glory Zell. And a really cool fact about Morning Glory is she is the one who is credited with coining the term polyamory. Yes. And we just did not want that to go unknown. Right. So there you have it. One more fact for you and one more amazing connection of Terry's into the deep roots of non-monogamy and polyamory. How cool is that, by the way? It's like, amazing. Yeah. Just yeah. find out, like learning all of this history. I can imagine the people who have spent time in Terry's living room are an absolutely incredible cast of thought leaders. Uh, yes. So I for am, sure. <laughs> I'm really grateful that we got to have this conversation. Yes. A hundred percent. Thank you again, Terry. We're yes, yeah, just so grateful for you. 
Uh, a quick reminder, our next virtual meet and greet is coming up on May 24th. Uh, that's next week. We'd love to see you there. You can sign up at our website under the events tab. And I think that's it. Next week, we have a wonderful conversation mm-hmm. with the entire crew over at Multiamory. Yes, we do. So we've got we got Dedeker, we got Jace, and for the first time ever, we have Emily. Yes. And so we are super excited. Every time we get to talk to these three, it's a great time. And this is no exception to that rule. Correct. Yeah. The five of us have five of us have a pretty incredible conversation. So you're gonna want to come back next week and check that out. And until then, have a wonderful weekend. Go check out all of Terry's work in the meantime. And we will see you all next week. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.